Welcome to the Inspired Astrology Podcast. This is Lauren K. Hickman coming to you live from a closet. Yes, that's right, a closet in the guest room of a Argentinian Mexican freedive instructor, surfer, uh, nature guide, safari badass, <laughs> Candelaria, here in Cabo San Lucas where I have just landed today. So anyhow, most of this recording is piecemeal based on conversations that I've been having with Jonah Emerson Bell throughout the day uh, and just trying to like put things together from a Starbucks uh, on the strip and from this closet space. So I hope that you'll enjoy today's episode as I enjoyed making it for you. Happy full moon in Capricorn. Hey, it's me again. And it's a full moon, which means that we get to have some uh, shared lunacy. Uh, I have Jonah Emerson Bell here with me, and I am recording remotely from Mexico. So uh, y'all are welcome. <laughs> So we're making the time uh, to to do a little little chit chat about this Capricorn full moon happening on Monday, July third, and depending on where you are, it's early in the morning or mid morning, something like that. But uh, Jonah, welcome and thank you for making time to connect with me. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me to share in your lunacy. Um, it's a pleasure as always to be here and, uh, thanks for, uh, uh, stopping your, uh, traveling to, uh, post up and record this episode. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about all this with you. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. It's, I think that, you know, both of, both you and I have those disciplines that help to create some rhythm within our own lives, which is a very water elemental type of quality. And I know with your Scorpio rising, with my chart ruler Pisces moon, it's like there, there is this need for rhythm within our lives. And I think all people need that. And I, I, you know, Capricorn is really associated with structure. So I think that it makes sense that we have these little things in our life that help us to connect with our rhythms. And for me, it's the moon. And for you, currently, it's Friday with your show that everybody should listen to the Melee Report, which is on SoundCloud. And uh, I, I will uh, connect you with that just by putting a link up in the bio. And that's that's Jonah's music. Uh, what do you call it? Your music devotional practice to the stars. Yeah, it's my uh, astrology themed radio show. Yeah, it's my favorite thing ever. And it was uh, probably one of the reasons that Jonah and I got connected initially was your kind of wild Instagram musings, uh, <laughs> using tarot cards. And then of course the, the melee report, which is, uh, really fun and also super helpful if you're just getting to know, um, to know astrology, right? Because we all have to start somewhere and, you know, whether, whether or not you're new to the practice and to the study of astrology, or if you're just using it for yourself, like it, it all benefits. This is a lovely metaphor. Uh, to challenge ourselves to make greater meaning in the world. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's my little thoughts on that. But, you know, it's cancer season. We got Mercury conjunct the sun. We got the Capricorn full moon. We have a couple planets that just stationed retrograde. We have some Chiron action. We got some Venus Uranus action. We have plenty, plenty to talk about today. Jonah. Yeah. 
Um, and if I if I can, I just want to jump in on this uh, ideas of like rhythms and structure, right? Because I I've never really thought of like uh, structure as a water sign thing. I always think of that more as a Saturnian thing. And right with this um, uh, Cancer Capricorn full moon axis, we're talking about the uh, right like water and Earth. We're talking about the Moon ruler of Cancer and Saturn ruler of Capricorn, right? And something that you said as you were kind of like uh, introducing um, these sort of rhythms, right? There's this natural rhythm of the ocean, right? The natural uh, rhythm of the Moon. These kind of maybe more natural uh, cycles and structures that we exist within, right? The way our blood pumps through our body right? The waters in our bodies, the water in the earth. Um, and then there's the maybe more like uh, Saturnian uh, rhythms or structures that we uh, implement, right? Like clock time, um, or like the I should do this, right? Which I um, always think of as very Saturnian, right? And the, um, and like one is not better than the other. Right. I don't want to like privilege the like lunar rhythms over the Saturnian rhythms. Like I think they both have their place. Um, and I, it's just like a very interesting thing to think about is the way that these two fit together. And, um, you know, I think about the the moon. Right. And the progressed moon, which has a 28 and a half year cycle through the chart. Right. Which is followed very closely by the Saturn return. Right. Saturn having a 20 nine and a half year uh kind of rotation through the uh the chart right and um one of the things that we can think about is like the moon gives us the ability to like dream and imagine right and then saturn like comes in and like makes that real right and so in a way like the lunar return right in the progress chart um gives us the vision that then saturn helps to create a reality around and that's one of the ways that you know, I can think about the kind of natural lunar rhythms or rhythms of the ocean kind of supporting the maybe more Saturnian and hard-edged rhythms of like uh, the the Earth. I don't know, of like the Saturn archetype. I love that you made that connection, you know, because like every month, every 2.5 days, the moon changes signs. And I, I think that's one of the things that makes cancer energy people who are very cancer whether they have a stellium whether it's just a very like strong um component in their makeup they tend to uh shift quite readily with the emotions or the kind of the vibe that's happening in a space like there's more of a taste and a feel right if the water is purple then everything is purple right if it's, it's tinted red then it's all red um that's just one analogy for it, but, but certainly there's like a picking up on those rhythms and that, that, that natural tidal lunar energy that, that concurs. And so what Joan is talking about with the progressions in our chart, which is a really important aspect, I think, because it, it labels the, maybe the two and a half year experiences that we have, right? Like every two to three years, some of us really tend to shift our entire focus point, right? And if let's say that your progressed moon is in cancer, maybe you're focusing more on like internal workings, emotional healing, building a home, uh, like creative projects, that sort of thing. Whereas a person whose moon is in Capricorn, 
maybe they're focusing more on their career and the, the life that they're building outside of their home. It's more about how they're seen in the world type of thing. So every two, two and a half to three years, our moon shifts into the, the next progressed sign. And it creates a real flavor or a real uh, kind of underlying theme that if we start to pay attention to, we can really focus our energy on what we're doing in our lives. And you can go back and trace that, uh, you know, what years in your life you were in certain signs. It can be really fascinating. So I encourage you to, you know, get in touch with Jonah or I, if you want to kind of meditate on the progressions in your world. Um, Jonah knows this, but I, my, my progress moon just went to zero degree Leo, which means that I'm starting a whole new phase of development. And I was like, maybe I'm ready for a rebrand. Who knows? Maybe I'll dye my hair red and get a red van that I'm going to drive to Mexico in, you know, like <laughs> it's, it is sort of a, a, an interesting, um, shift change that happens. It literally feels that way in your life. Yeah. And like immediately you bought a red van. Like you're like, Hey, my progress moon just moved into Leo. And then two days later, you sent me a picture of the red van you bought. And like, yeah, astrology <laughs> kind of works. Right. Um, and, uh, I uh, I just want to like take a second because I think I jumped in at like an intermediate to an advanced level of astrology um, and uh, just to like backtrack for uh, the folks at home who might not know uh, annual progressions is a way it's a symbolic way of looking at time where one day equals one year so we look at the birth chart um like date like one one day two days three days whatever like if you're 27 years old we're looking at the birth chart 27 days after you were born and uh and taking one day for one year right so then we see how the moon has changed signs mercury moves pluto probably hasn't moved right so there's like subtle shifts that we see in the chart that then we extrapolate um how like the life develops um through looking at this uh, symbolic way of telling time absolutely yeah and uh you know jonah works with a lot more of that medicinal magic of astrology for sure whereas i'm more of uh I don't know, being a spiritual being in the physical world, you know, I, I just trust timing and processes to be exactly where they are. And then later I'll go back and be like, oh shit, you know, that was happening right then. You know, I, I feel like you can either be really intentional about uh, looking towards um, elections, elections, which is a term like looking for a good timing to, to do a project, right? And, you know, Jonah was just doing this talisman activity. And for some reason, I just felt like, oh, tonight is the night that they're going to do their Mercury talisman. And you're like, fuck yeah, I did stayed up all night, you know? And, and it's, it's funny that when you, when you just stop caring, then there is often this intuition that comes up that's really natural. So this idea of feeling the rhythm within our own lives without needing to control it or structure it too much. And then also the hand in hand experience of um, timing things and actually being intentional or thinking your way through that process. And both of those are, you know, the cancer would be the feeling kind of prophetic knowing activity. And the Capricorn would be the more like thoughtful, deliberate, considerate, making a task, right? And, and Saturn and Capricorn are certainly the taskmasters. And cancer is more of the like, oh, I just knew, I know what's right. <laughs> so maybe we'll talk more about the archetypes of cancer and Capricorn and, um, you know, just to remind folks what, 
what a full moon is about, these oppositions and access points in our monthly experiences that give us a chance to connect with not only the oppositional energy, but also the opposite season, right? What was going on with you during Capricorn season? What happened during that that full moon in Cancer for you in January? I can't even remember. (laughs) But, you know, I think, right, we have this, uh, yeah, I love that idea of like, we get this taste of the opposite sign, right? And I think that the polarity in astrology is really important, right? Because all of the signs um, are in relationship with the, not just like the mode, whether it's cardinal fixed or mutable, right? Not just the element, whether it's earth, uh, air, water, or fire, but also the sort of polarity of what is um what it's relating to what it's looking across the zodiac at and they form sort of two sides to the same coin and with the um capricorn cancer access right like we can think of parental archetypes of like mother father right um i also think about security and i think about um capricorn being an archetype of like um physical security and cancer being an archetype of emotional security right and like how we keep ourselves safe on an emotional level and um create a safety to feel vulnerable like to allow ourselves to be vulnerable and to um let things in or let things out right and then capricorn i see is like going out and creating these structures in the world to keep us like physically safe right so potentially so that that emotional vulnerability can come up right but we don't want to like one without the other sort of like loses um its ability right like cancer without the shell right it's just like i don't know what a crab without a shell is it's like you know just a a a scared little guy running down the beach looking for safety right and uh cancer or capricorn without that like um internal like vulnerability is just like creating climbing the mountain to like seek achievement and external uh validation but like doesn't have that like internal uh organization that is so important for that journey right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh water elements need a container to Mm. be the most effective right and and it can be self-contained like water itself is incredibly powerful and it's a shapeshifter and transformative. It's powerful because a, you know, a tidal wave can kill you, right? Uh, ice is hard and solid and gas is, you know, vaporous, right? And water gives life and nourishment, right? So I really appreciate what you just shared about those, those dynamics because they they need one another, right? Cancer can't build a dream without the taskmaster, the to-do list, the the actual like reality of things. Otherwise, it's just sitting there dreaming and waiting for something to kind of impress itself upon that waterist energy. And Capricorn will just keep building without the soul, the soul piece for it. Like it's just going to keep building to build or to gather power or to gather attention. Um, so if we look at the seasonal archetypology version of this, it's like, what does summer teach us about winter and what does winter's preparation allow for our summer harvest, right? This is the most like in the Northern hemisphere specifically, this is the time of year when everything is coming alive, that all the berries are growing. You can go pick strawberries and blueberries and 
everything is alive and lush and green. And that's cancer. That's the height, the summer solstice point. And then in winter, the December solstice, the, the winter time, it's dark, it's gray, everything's dead. We've gone through that shedding period that the fall season in Scorpio specifically allows for. So without that dead of winter, without that stillness, the isolation, the rest, you can't have this busy, alive fullness that we're getting today. So that's a really simple way like to kind of look at those two energies without all the water and cardinal and <laughs> some of these yeah. archetypes, right? I love that. Um, I also think about uh, like fourth house, 10th house, right? Cancer is the natural ruler of the fourth house. Uh, Capricorn is the natural ruler of the 10th house. And one of the ways that I like to think about those sort of positions in the chart is the fourth house is where we, the roots of the tree go down through time, through ancestry, through history, right? It's like our connection to a place, right? Where we feel at home, where we feel safe, where we're able to like nourish and nurture and develop. And from those strong roots that are grown through the fourth house or this Cancerian idea of home and belonging, right? Um, we grow the roots of the tree up through the zodiac into the 10th house which is where the branches spread out and provide shade for other people right and so the 10th house is our work in the world it's how we are seen by others right it's like how we show up in our mission and like how we can be um of service to the community right but that depends on the the fourth house roots right and how we like root into self history ancestry place you know and that like is able to nourish the tree that like grows up, right? The, the tree of the self. Yeah. So what soil did you grow from is often what the fourth house teaches us. It can give us an idea of what our resources are from a home state. It can give us an idea of what like the flavor of our childhood was, for instance, right? And then what are we building towards? Or what do we, if we look at the IC and the MC, right? The Amemquali, which is that like that um, the tent pole that goes into the earth, into the ground that kind of steadies the, the canopy or the tent, if you will. And often we need that, that I see that point of contact with the roots um, so that we are able to reach upwards. And it's a lot that, that axis itself also, it's a lot like the North and South node, right? When we get freaked out, we go towards the past. We go towards what our root system is. So I'll use myself as an example, because that's what we Aries do most of the time to help other people feel brave. You know, I have a, I have a Capricorn IC, and it's one of the only aspects in my makeup that uh, is an earth element. And uh, Jupiter is sitting right there conjunct the IC. I often think of that as my mom, the Capricorn teacher and astrologer and wise woman that she is. Um, uh, but, but the IC for me is like, sometimes I get super curmudgeon -y. Sometimes I'm like this little old man. I mean, there was a joke that I was such an old man as a kid because I was so grumpy. And my sister used to make fun of me for reading on the toilet. She'd always catch me in the bathroom reading as like, like an eight-year-old, you know? And uh, just wanting to stay home and being super pessimistic, right? But for some reason, that's kind of allowed me the space to be more nurturing and loving and caring for others in its odd way because I have a cancer midheaven, right? Like that's a lot of the times how people see me, even though I feel like this grumpy old man, a lot of folks see me as this like super nourishing, accommodating, helpful, caring person, which I know that I am, 
but I am also that little old man as much as I am that like loving parent figure for people in that feminine aspect. Ooh, that's so good. Um, and I just have to say, I love that. Uh, what soil did you grow from uh, as a very succinct way of thinking about the fourth house? Um, I'm, I'm definitely, I definitely took a note of that and I'm going to hold on to that one. It's all yours, friend. Thank yeah, you. I um, I think if we, I mean, if we look at ourselves like as in our adult lives and, and like, Joan, if you were to tell me the story of your life and we were looking at your chart at the same time, or if you told me about your childhood and who you are today, it would make sense, right? But because we are in the story, because we are the main character, we don't see the whole um, ebbs and flows of it the way that uh, uh, a spectator would. Right. And, and so your story would make sense, like who you are today comes from this other, you know, the roots and soil that you came from, as well as your soul identity, if you believe in reincarnation and the information that we're bringing through from an energetic perspective. Um, so we, we can learn a lot about how we are in right time and that we are exactly who we need to be based on those experiences in our lives. And I think, as, as so, you know, we're living in a time where we're looking through the windows of not only our color TV, thank you, Modest Mouse, but oh, they're cancer. I think the singer's a cancer son, if I remember make, that correctly. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. All right. So we're throwing that in there. Um, but we're looking through the windows of our phones into the lives of other people. Like I'm I'm sitting here with you behind behind you, Jonah, are all these fucking books. And it's like so amazing to me like your your brain and your experiences and knowing that you're a sad son and and how that like collection of information and, and that hunger for knowledge and like I can I can see you that that lens and either I can be like I wish I was Jonah like Jonah is so cool and I wish I was him and did funny things you know like I could I could do that or I could be like wow Jonah's so Jonah and I'm so me and that's that's really special but often we get we get into the comparison game which is incredible incredibly harmful to our not only to our ego identity but our ability to um, serve the soul in its own path if we're trying to mimic uh, and obscure ourselves to either be another person right and I uh, you know Oscar Wilde who had a mercury cancer Oscar Wilde who had a mercury cancer always said that you know be yourself everybody else is taken for fuck's mm -hmm. sake yeah and that um reminds me of a saying that I love uh which is about um how it is uh, maybe not really going to help you out if you're comparing your insides to other people's outsides, um, which I think is a very like cancer Capricorn polarity right there, right? Because if we're in this like cancer, like thinking about our internal vulnerable system and then looking at uh, everybody's like, you know, built up Capricornian like outsides, their achievements, right? And you're like, oh, like your Capricornian achievement is like so much better than like my like vulnerable, like weak, right? Inner self that like, I just have a hard time with. And I wish, I wish my shell looked more like your shell. And like, I've tried it and it does not work, right? It always like leaves me disappointed. And, you know, one of the things that comes up is this, um, like when we're doing that, we don't have empathy for the full experience of another person, right? We're just seeing uh, our projection onto them, right? We're just seeing our idea of them. And uh, we um, 
uh, kind of like dries out the like entire system of like who somebody might be, their challenges, their experience, right? How like whatever that is, right? Um, and you know, I think it's it's been very important for me to remember that, right? And to remember that like it's okay to be me, right? Independent of like how I perceive other people, right? Yeah. Yeah, our our projections are the things that like we almost want for ourselves. And that's where jealousy becomes super helpful is being like, oh, fuck, I want that, you know, and then asking yourself, why am I not going for that? Like, why am why do I feel like not worthy enough or whatever? That's kind of the Jupiter Taurus stuff that we'll, we might get into today. <laughs> that enoughness piece. Yeah. Well, I mean, since like you just introduced it, do you want to uh, talk about that? Oh, there's so much to talk about. Okay. Yeah. So, so we have, you know, Jupiter and Taurus is at nine degrees and it is trining the moon in Capricorn, right? At 11 degrees. And Joan and I had some kind of interesting takes on this because, you know, Jupiter is expansive. Uh, It's a failed sun. It has a lot of gravity. You know, it's a lot bigger than we think that it is. (laughs) And this can be someone who's very nourished, especially in Taurus energy, it can be very fulfilled, uh, or it can be super hungry. And when we're dealing with the moon, which represents either our dead patterns, it can represent our inner child, it can uh, represent our feeling self in Capricorn, no less, like we have so two earth signs with very different energies. Um, Jonah used the word anemic to uh, describe moon in Capricorn. Right. And, and it is sort of a, an ability to detach oneself to, from the feelings that they might be experiencing or to put it off, deal with it later, because there's more important things to kind of process and deal with it at a time. So Jupiter and Taurus essentially trining to the moon and Capricorn might be like, uh, hey, maybe, maybe things are enough right now for you to deal with those feelings of not being enough or dealing with some of the, the things getting magnified in your life that might be an indicator of past patterns that you haven't really confronted yet. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think about, you know, Taurus as a sign of resource and Jupiter as the planet of expansion, right? And like also hope and faith, right? And, uh, you know, the moon maybe feeling like, I think one of the uh, things that can come up in Capricorn is this idea that like, I don't have enough. Right. I need to like, I don't have enough security. I don't have enough resource. I need to like work really hard. Right. I don't have enough food for the winter is like a Capricornian vibe. Um, And I think Jupiter and Taurus is like, oh, yeah, there's abundance. Right. Like, and when we tap into that trine, there's that like resource support from uh, Taurus, right. From Jupiter, from this like greater benefic who's like, oh, no, maybe you do have enough. Right. Like, maybe it's going to be okay. Maybe we can have a little faith right, in these places where things maybe feel constricted or like, you know, because the moon is in detriment in, um, or it's in its fall in uh, uh, Capricorn. And so it's like a planet in detriment or fall, like does not have like the resources that it would in a sign um, where it's supported, where it's in its exaltation or rulership, right? So like, you know, the moon, the moon, which is like 
um, by nature cold and moist um, in Capricorn is cold and dry and so it can be too cold and like kind of dried out and so like being able to support it with some resource right, warm it up a little bit uh, moisten it a little bit right um, it's like a really good way of thinking about that and you know I think about like a moon being kind of like withered and like getting some resource and like kind of like ah you know getting some lotion on its skin right you know having a nice meal um and being able to like chill out a little bit and i think that's a really important resource for this lunar archetype to have right as it's going through uh a sign that is not its home and is maybe more kind of driven to succeed than the moon is really wanting to do naturally if that makes sense yeah it does and i it's hard not to take in the last season's themes into this one, right? But we, I think that childhood is a component of this. Mercury, which is the child in Cancer, is conjunct to the, the sun in Cancer this season. And the moon having that same uh, inner self, inner child quality, as well as past patterns. Um, so I think that what you're, you're talking about is kind of giving some space for little self to do some processing because Capricorn is the grown up, right? It's like, you know, who, who do we become and what does your roots tell you about that? So, you know, I know in Gemini season, I was talking a lot about like, let's look back, let's kind of do some assessment. Let's like listen to little self and see what they need. Um, so I think, you know, maybe Jupiter is that mastery of, this is how my mom would say it. I can hear in my head a little bit, but like, the, the self-mastery of the emotional body and of those dead patterns that are no longer serving you, right? Because in esoteric astrology, I'll bring it up again, that the moon is the dead rock. It is the reflection of things that are like not helping, not really doing much except creating waves, <laughs> you know, which can be a pain in the ass sometimes. Like, Well, that is fascinating. Me and you are going to have to have a conversation about the moon sometime. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think that's fascinating. And I'm really glad that you brought in the Mercury and Cancer because Mercury just had the superior conjunction, um, what, on Friday, um, which is the Kazemi, right, which is where the Mercury goes into the heart of the sun or into the throne room of the sun, right? And Mercury being the messenger delivers the message, right? Or like um, in the uh, superior conjunction, it's going to begin moving faster than the sun. And so going ahead of it through the zodiac. And uh, so I always think about that as like Mercury getting its like mission, right? As it like begins to move forward uh, in this next phase, right? And so, um, you know, this piece around like picking up the like, you know, Mercury as the child archetype, maybe like picking up like a piece of information from the sun, right? From this like Cancer sun and how Mercury moves forward with that, with the information and wisdom uh, that it received from the, you know, or the sun in this maternal archetype, right? And this family oriented archetype and how that like maybe um, helps us uh repattern right or think of like the next leg of the journey or like this new cycle um how that's beginning and you know maybe in some ways we can yeah do like memory reconsolidation or repatterning or like begin to tell a different story about our family system about our relationship to roots to success to uh you know the journey that we're on 
the throne room. Yes, love that. Uh, um, what do I have to say about that? I was I was talking. I mentioned Mercury and Cancer people, and um, I was talking to my my partner. We were sitting on the beach, and I was like, you know, all right, I know you. Like, do you feel your thoughts? Are your thoughts like? Are they slow? What do they What do they feel like? You know, because all of us have these different components of like how Mercury uh, extends itself in our makeup. Right. I have a Mercury in Aries, so it feels like my head is on fire most of the time. You know, it's like uh, even my face gets red. You know, a lot of the time, but it is sort of this like lightning bolt, fiery, getting ahead of myself, like scribbling on pages like there's a lot to a fire mercury but a water mercury is very different because it takes time to process things and sometimes those sublimate and go to the bottom and have to kind of process on like a different level before it can surface or before it dissolves itself so you might be thinking about like how can i dissolve a problem that might seem bigger than it needs to be you know by breaking it into smaller pieces uh, cuz capricorn can seem real fucking solid earth seems very solid until you add water until you add a jackhammer you know so if there is something in your life that feels really solid and heavy and in in penetrable then like just make it smaller how can you break it into pieces mm. Oh, I love that. That's such good advice. You know, and I'm already thinking about like the mountains that I have to face. I'm like, oh yeah, right? Just like one rock at a time. Like that's how a mountain gets moved, right? By, you know, either getting a ton of help, right? Or, um, you know, one, just like one rock at a time, one little bit at a time. And yeah, it's a much better way of approaching a problem that seems uh, insurmountable. Um, do you want to talk about uh, Venus? And I'm kind of interested in the shifting of the nodes, the nodes and, and Venus going Venus retrograde, but I want to see where you want to go. I feel like we should talk about Venus going retrograde next time, maybe, just because like I want to give lots of space for that. And that's not happening until the, what, the 22nd? Yeah, Correct. 722, right. Um, so I'd love to hear your Saturn and Pisces retrograde take. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the nodes changing, but Venus and Uranus, that is my realm, Jonah. So I really, really appreciate that because this is not only a loud car driving by right now, but this is not only like a very interesting, um, day for change in a way, because Venus moves very quickly. The, the personal planets tend to move very fast. So we only get like a window of time when we have the, the Venus and Uranus square. Um, but this is natal in my own makeup. And so I, I think it's really, really fascinating what this these qualities bring together. Um, so Venus, right? We know about desire. We know about how we connect to one another, how we learn to love ourselves. Uranus is about seeing things and breaking them down from a new perspective, chaotic or not. Like it can become whole new uh, visuals or wisdom that comes to us. And this can be just about, uh, expressing yourself differently, you know, maybe taking, I'm not saying cut your hair <laughs> or anything like that, but it's this idea of like maybe stepping outside of your comfort zone or being able to feel things on a more loving level. And because this is Taurus and Leo vibes here, 
um, either loving yourself in a more nourishing way or extending yourselves to other through uh, being super affectionate and letting folks know what you like about them. That doesn't have to be like hitting on them. It can just be like, yo, I really appreciate the way that you handled that situation. Or this is one of the things that I admire about you. It's a quality that I love. If you can accept that, uh, accept that compliment, right? And that can really revolutionize Uranus the way someone sees themselves, right? Because Uranus is about perspective on a greater, higher scale. So I think that that's uh, really important is, is helping other people to see that they are good enough. But that has to start with ourselves. And so you have, you have a natal uh, Uranus square Venus. Mm -hmm. How does that show up? In, like, how have you experienced that in your life? Mm, well, because Venus is trying to Saturn for me. And then Venus is square to Uranus for me. So it's it's a really interesting um, balance because of wanting a lot of structure, but also wanting a lot of freedom. And so Venus squaring Uranus for me, um, because it's in Sag and Pisces, is I love everybody. I fall in love all the time. And I'm really glad that I'm like finally embracing my sexual identity and my bisexual identity because because I just love people in such like a deep and way. Um, yeah, it's still recording. I just had a moment because you froze there. But yeah, it just, I think that for me, it's it's really like loving on such a huge scale and such an intense scale that it can be like, I almost lose myself in other people. Um, but also needing a lot of space that's super like needing a lot of room. And, and then that Saturn piece, which is super annoying, is like, I actually do better like when I'm being squeezed a little bit, like I need a little bit of structure in my life, but I'm constantly like, you know, breaking it down. And those who've known me for a very long time have seen how this has shown up with like, I've had every color of hair, I've had every kind of haircut or all the things, like I've changed my style a thousand different times because I know I'm evolving and why not honor that? Awesome, awesome. Yeah. And yeah, I think, um, you know, with Venus moving through Leo, I think about Leo as um, being this um, archetype of like authenticity, right? It's how we like show up with our whole self or being like, this is me, right? Um, and I think the Uranus square to this Venus, right? Uranus is the kind of like new right? The revolutionary, the uh, sudden change, right? This, you know, I can see like sudden like flashes of inspiration that help like one to be more authentic, um, you know? And I think uh, just like hearing your kind of expression of it, the way that um, you as the native to your chart, right? Feel it, right? This like sudden flash of like insight around like, oh, I need this hair color right i need to like uh revolutionize my like you know aesthetic right venus aesthetic in this way right i need to electrify it right um those sound like very like uh yeah just hearing your relationship with it is super interesting you know and i think about um i guess like um thinking about it in the mundane astrology i also see like the shadow side right of um well maybe it's not a shadow side but the desire for like freedom is like a very uh uranian thing right so like um uranus can want to like blow up relationship right venus 
uh, deals with relationship and, um, you know, a square is a challenging aspect or an uh, aspect that needs integration, right? And so like, we can get this like Uranian flash of like, I need to be free and like throw a lightning bolt at the, at a relationship and just like, you know, uh, for no, no, re no reason, or like maybe unbeknownst to the other person, the other party in the relationship, you just like hit it with a lightning bolt and, uh, you know, burn it to the ground, which is a very, is a way that that, um, relationship can, the, uh, Uranus Venus relationship can show up. Yeah. So to all my former lovers who might be li listening there, I'm making amends. <laughs> <laughs> this great moment in time for throwing a lightning bolt when I needed some space. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. Um, so I think relationships is such an important piece of this chart as well, just because we know that the, the nodes are shifting. Um, Venus and Mars are not going to be uh, conjunct by degree, but they have been chasing closely to one another. And when Venus and Mars come together for a day or two, we often refer to that as lover's day. And Jonah was sharing with me some of Jason Hawley's wisdom. And Jonah and I have both taken um, like Venus uh, aspect classes with Jason, because I, I heard that same story about Hephaestus and Eris and Venus, Aphrodite, like whatever, you know, Greek, Roman, same, same, right? But why don't you share that story about, um, about shame? Yeah, so... Um, and this is coming from Jason Hawley, who's a great astrologer who I've taken a bunch of classes with. Um, but he was talking about in the Greek uh, mythology, um, Venus and Mars, Aries, have a relationship, right? And uh, through uh, some trickery, um, Venus becomes promised to Hephaestus who is the uh, smithy, right? The uh, kind of archetypal craftsperson um, who can make anything. Um, but uh, Hephaestus is um, disfigured. Um, because, not sexy. Yeah, he's not yeah. sexy. Yeah, because of some <laughs> poor parenting by Hera um, and Zeus, Hephaestus is not sexy. And so Venus is in this relationship uh, with Hephaestus. And they have an interesting relationship because Hephaestus makes Venus beautiful jewelry, but is maybe not the most attractive of the Olympians. And so Venus uh, carries on a relationship with Mars um, in secret and Hephaestus is uh, cuckold. Um, and so in this story, um, Venus and Mars are like getting it on for some afternoon delight and Hephaestus finds them and makes uh, a uh, this net, this net made out of a very fine thread um, and throws it over them and they can't get out of it. They're like caught in, in uh in a lover's embrace and they're caught in this net uh which is transparent and Hephaestus like brings in all of the gods and is like look at what they're doing right and basically shames them and so what Jason Holly was saying is that when we get these Venus and Mars uh conjunctions in the chart uh that can be a shame archetype right or can bring up shame right that like and I think you know it's like this is a like complex conversation, but if we think about the way that sex is viewed in uh, the 
in America, in the modern world, like there's a lot of shame around that conversation, right? Especially um, if we bring in the Uranus square, right? And Uranus is radical, new, revolutionary, liberatory, out of the box, right? Uranus is kink. Uranus can be like, you know, LGBTQIA plus relationships, right? And um, in the discourse in America right now, there's a lot of shame about uh, who people love, how people present uh, people's sexuality, right? And so, um, and also I just want to name that like before we got this Venus square, we had a Mars square, right? So Uranus is like um, transmitting the uh, energy between Venus and Mars through this like radical lens in a way, right? And so I don't know, I I don't have this fully formed, but I think it's a very interesting way of viewing this uh, relationship, right? right? The Venus and Mars, like how shame uh, plays a role and also like what liberation from shame looks like, right? Um, around our own sexuality, right? Around our own gender, around uh, our own experience of love, right? Right, you know? yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to back up a little bit because I think I cut you off about like the Hephaestus sexiness kind of thing. And it was not related to like him being tossed and like harmed. It was more or less that he was so stable and helpful and like skillful and useful. And like Aries was this, you know, like unavailable, like emotional, like hot headed, like always out on the run. Like, so that that's what I meant by that. And so like, I think that there was like a crossover of like, like the legs thing and then me saying not sexy. And I was like, that is not, that's not what I was trying to say. I was talking about how like Venus sort of is turned on by <laughs> the bad boy, like getting what she wants, the bad boy. Yeah. The rebel. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Thank you for naming that. And also like the way that uh, Hephaestus is described in the mythology is like, he's not sexy. He's not attractive to Venus. Right. And like, you know, there's like a deeper history in that, but I think it like Venus is like in an arranged marriage with somebody that she's not attracted to. Right. Okay. So just to fill you in what happened there, um, my partner was out free diving all day and we were, you know, obviously separated because they were in the water on a boat and I was in a coffee shop and, uh, I had the passports and the money and I had to go. So we ended up cutting the um, conversation short, even though it was a very rich and full conversation. And I've just been joking with Jonah as we've been trying to piece this uh, ending together, is that maybe that's the Capricornian part of us that are trying to like perfect or complete something when maybe it's just best kind of messy. Jonah, you made it. I'm here, you're here, we're back. We're back after uh, an extended commercial break. <laughs> yeah and uh i just got a notification on my phone that it's the hour of the sun right now so uh yeah happy hour of the sun lauren <laughs> yeah i think it's called planet tarot and uh it sends you notifications when uh when the planetary hour changes mm. and, and it's uh, free it's free we love free things i know for sure do. yeah we all do, but we also know the value of paying for things like services from a real astrologer versus. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's just a little plug for uh, hooking Jonah and I up with some session time so that we can serve and support and celebrate you. Here, here, yeah. 
yeah, if uh, you are needing some uh, astrological support or uh, some context to help you through these trying and turbulent times, hit up uh, your local friendly astrologer. <laughs> so there was our plug. So um, Joan and I got cut off right at the end of Venus and Uranus. Uh, square and there's so much more to this full moon chart but I think that we wanted to round out a few notations about some of the retrogrades with Neptune uh, the retrograde with Saturn in Pisces which I uh, I just mailed out my moon mailer so if you're not signed up for that please go to ursaday.us or uh, you know HMU on the Instagram with your email address but any thoughts on this because I got a very excited text message from you the day that the Titan went down. Yeah. <laughs> and we all, we all know about the orca straighting, uh, attacking the yachts and whatnot. Um, but I really, I really liked your hot take on this. So um, here's the mic, Jonah. Yeah. So um, I found the uh, whole kind of situation with the Titan submersible that was going to like scope out the Titanic, which, you know, I think, some irony abounds there. Um, but the uh, Titan got lost the day after Saturn uh, stationed retrograde uh, in Pisces, which was, uh, let's see here, yeah, June 17th, um, which I think was a Saturday. Um, and then the Titan kind of lost contact and went missing the day after. And, you know, Saturn uh, retrograde in Saturn retrograding through Pisces, uh, you know, brings up all of these kind of questions about water, the ocean, right? How we structure the ocean, the pressure of the ocean. We're doing this. It's happening. Yeah, we are. Uh, okay. We need to ask the internet gods for their blessing. Yes, please. Oh, Mercury. Oh, you're on it. Help us out. Hook us up. And I just want um, all the listeners at home to know that Lauren is crouched in a closet sitting on an igloo cooler. And, and I, uh, somewhere in, in Baja, Mexico, and I was eating frozen pizza and watching Supernatural. And, uh, we, we've both come together in this moment to complete this podcast before the moon reaches its fullness at like 5.38 in the morning. This is devotion, people. This is what we do as astrologers and as yeah. service providers. Yeah, the this, things we this, do. This is the secret life of astrologers right here. Hanging out in the middle of the night. <laughs> trying to get a podcast to work. Okay, so you see what keeps happening is <laughs> the lack, the lack of connection. But uh, we still do. We still, we still have a good connection. And uh, yeah, Jonah, Jonah did a recording uh, just to like a solo move, as I often do in recording by myself and doing some chat. So uh, here is some thoughts on the Saturn retrograde in Pisces, things to consider about the ocean and big maritime events that have been occurring in our current events. Um, 
thoughts? Not a lot. We do talk about orcas and salmon hats and restorative justice. So uh, here's, here's more Jonah. And so I just wanted to offer a couple thoughts about uh, Saturn's retrograde in Pisces, um, which started uh, June 17th, uh, which happened to be a Saturday, which is Saturn's day, um, and uh, kicked off with Saturn at seven degrees of Pisces. And so... You know, the next day, uh, the Titan sub uh, loses contact and is lost in the Atlantic for five days. Um, and, you know, I find a lot of just witnessing that whole story was incredibly interesting um, because three days prior to that, on June 14th, there's a fishing boat uh, which had something like 750 uh, migrants from Syria, Yemen, uh, the Middle East, who are trying to cross the Mediterranean. Um, and that ship sank and hundreds of people died. And the they're just coming out with reports about it and um, how uh, there there is some speculation that the Coast Guard, the Greek Coast Guard, might have had some responsibility in this. Um, and I, I'll get back to that in a minute. Um, but, you know, just sort of the uh, way that that event and the Titan sub-event played out in the media and the media coverage that, uh, you know, five billionaires well they weren't all billionaires but a billion a couple billionaires and uh, some explorers got uh, versus you know hundreds of uh, migrants you know and the billionaires and the lost sub got a lot more coverage and there is a lot more money going into a rescue effort with them as opposed to the migrants who um, were lost in the Mediterranean. Now, um, with the Titan sub, there's like a couple of things that really stick out to me. Um, I mean, the kind of irony of a submarine going to find the Titanic, uh, and getting lost is like, you know, that's there. Right. Um, but thinking about Saturn stationing retrograde in Pisces, which is about the ocean, the sea, water, right? The mutability of water um, and Saturn being this archetype of structuring and thinking about like, how do we structure water? Right. And, you know, something that comes up for me with Saturn, which is like weight and heaviness and the weight of water, right? Not the film, but the actual like concept. Um, and like what ends up happening is, uh, the submarine is, uh, uh, has a catastrophic implosion, right. And is crushed beneath, uh, a huge amount of pressure, which is again, a very Saturnian thing. And also the Titan sub, hello, Saturn is a Titan. Kronos is a Titan, right? So like all of these things sort of like line up in this really interesting way. And, you know, I don't think that like this, like I couldn't have predicted this, right? And I don't think that this is a like predictive thing, but I think that something that comes up is 
um, the ways that these archetypes play out through the collective, right? And sometimes they play out in kind of like obscure, like obtuse ways. Uh, sometimes they play out in ways that we look back and we're like, oh, wow, that was pretty interesting, right? That's how that showed up. And like sometimes they play out in ways that are like pretty on the nose, right? And as we think about planets going retrograde, we are rethinking, right? And Saturn stationing retrograde, moving re, uh, moving retrograde, we are rethinking uh, structures, responsibility, morality, right? And, you know, one of the things that comes up with this story is like wealth, money, right, power, um, like how people with wealth uh, are like captivated or like witnessed in the media and how people without are just forgotten about. Right. And sort of like how we are, like what we are valuing in society and like how we are structuring our society. Right. And um, also Saturn is about like responsibility. And one of the reasons that the Titan sub failed is because, you know, safety was not a priority. Right. And coming back to this sort of, Capricornian archetype who is also ruled by Saturn right thinking about like <clears throat> the structures uh, that we create to uh, help us to be safe to feel safe right <clears throat> excuse me and how important safety can be right and thinking about you know migrant populations taking great risks um, and to uh, try and have a better life to create safety, but like having to go through really unsafe situations, you know, and then coming back to, um, this, the tragedy of this, uh, fishing boat being lost with all of these migrants and all of these people dying. Um, you know, uh, Saturn is about limits and, uh, borders in some ways. Right. And the, uh, closing down of borders against people who are trying to seek safety or seek uh, shelter or seek a better life or whatever the causes are, right? This uh, kind of like closing down of borders is like a Saturnian uh, fear thing, right? Limiting thing. And so, I don't know, I think that all of these archetypes and all of these ideas are really at play in... Um, in both of these tragedies, right? And it's really tempting to be like, ha, 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 billionaires died, right? And I am also guilty of that, right? But to step back and recognize that also, like, this is a tragedy and the people who died, like, become kind of symbols of wealth, of inequality, of reckless behavior, but that shouldn't minimize the fact that, like, people died and, like, that's not... That is not the ideal, right? And we don't, maybe, maybe it's not helpful to sacrifice people um, to uh, prove a point, right? Ideally, uh, we can get the picture without the loss of human life or any life. Um, so anyway, that's my two cents on the Saturn retrograde uh, and the Titan sub and uh, the kind of uh, tragedies um of maritime disasters um and my two cents on the orcas attacking boats and i think i heard something on uh radio lab or this american life or some one of those npr programs but 
you know, there's all this like talk about the orcas are taking revenge, right? And I think that that's very uh, attractive, right? That's very captivating to think of the orcas rising up um, against inequality and uh, people who are harming the planet and harming the ocean. And I really like that story, but um, I think that uh, a more realistic story and one that is maybe like less uh, threatening, right, is that they are having a good time. Um, and I think that it's important, right? And like, I don't know the mind of an orca. I wish I did, you know. Um, but I think that when we think about the orcas taking vengeance, people are like, oh, no, they're coming to get us, right? And it creates this sort of uh, fear and anxiety, right? Which makes people be like, I have to arm myself, you know, I have to, like, put spikes on the rudder of my boat to protect myself because the orcas are out to get me. And I don't know if that's actually helpful. Right. But I think that a much more realistic thing that's probably happening is the orcas are like, oh, cool. I just found this awesome game. Right. Let's, what happens? Like, whoever gets whoever knocks this thing off the boat wins. And the orcas are like, oh, hell yeah. Right. And they're having a good time. And um, on this NPR program that I heard, uh, they were talking to a scientist who was like, yeah, the orcas are into fads. And like last year, there was a fad where they were wearing dead, they were killing salmon and wearing them on their heads like a hat. Right. <laughs> and so like, like all, all of these like orca pods were just like rolling around with like a salmon on their head. And then that lasted about a year, and then they got over it, and then they found a new game, and the new game is apparently, like, hitting the rudders of boats until they knock the rudder off. And, like, that sounds that sounds like a really fun game, actually. And I think it's really important not to, like, be threatened by what seems like a bunch of teenagers having a good time, right? Even though, you know, I feel like people love to get threatened by teenagers, right? But, like... I don't know. Let let the kids, the kids are all right. You know, let them have a good time. And uh, instead of maybe wanting to lash out or create like harm them or like getting super threatened, maybe just like don't float your boat for a minute. You know, if that's possible. And I don't know. Since I'm talking and now I'm like in it to win it, um, I think. There's, like, a thing that I want to say about vengeance, which I think is really interesting. Um, or it's, like, something that I've been contemplating. And this came from a discussion that I was having with um, Orphic Astrology. Um, uh, uh, Niazi. Uh, I think that's how... Uh, I think that's the correct way of pronouncing their name. But they're Orphic Astrology on Instagram. And um, they do a lot of great work with uh, the fixed stars. And I'm in a book club um, about the decans with them. They're like one of the discussions that kind of came up was around vengeance. And, you know, in the kind of planetary magic, in the mansions of the moon, there's all of these like talismans. And they're very kind of like you know, obscure. It's like, you know, good for like destroying roads, good for making uh, people fall in love, good for like ruining a kingdom, also like pretty good for finding lost objects, right? And, you know, you can do a lot with these and like they seem kind of incongruous, but like one of the things that comes up is um, 
uh, a lot of these are good for vengeance. And in this discussion, we were talking about um, like restorative justice versus vengeance. And vengeance, maybe, right, maybe uh, in the 1300s, the 1200s, um, there was not a the language or the awareness of restorative justice, right? Maybe all people had language for was vengeance, right? Like to um, create to create a just outcome, right? And so I don't know. I think it's like this really interesting thing to like explore the topic of vengeance and to think of it as maybe through the lens of restorative justice. Right. And where, where that Venn diagram overlaps, right. And like maybe where it does not and right. Like I'm saying this in the context of the Orca uprising, right. And maybe what some people perceive as vengeance is actually restorative justice. And maybe what we are um, kind of anthropomorphizing as restorative justice uh, is actually just play. It's actually just whales being whales, man. And so, anyway, those are my thoughts on the deep blue sea uh, for the Saturn retrograde in Pisces. And also, like, perhaps there's some overlap with the Neptune retrograde. And But I'm going to stop talking now and wish you a good night. Bye now. So piecing together this week's episode um, came at the tail end of a journey down to uh, Baja California Sur, which is the peninsula that trapes um, at the very tail end of California. Um, and it is a desert space with hills and a million saguaro cactuses and dust and beauty and palms and I just feel so drawn to this place. I had never been here before and I feel that um, I had a lot to say in my moon mailer specifically about being in this space. As I've been wandering around as a gringa, which you know blue hair, blue hair, blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, estoy rubio. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I stick out and I have been practicing Spanish, which is getting meshed with other languages that I've learned in my brain and just trying to navigate those spaces and be as curious as possible as I step into a culture that is not my own, into spaces that are not my own. And uh, learning about the history, the colonization of the space by Spanish conquistador Cortez, um, the Jesuits, other, other people and places from different times. And how they came into this waterscape with many spaces that had never been inhabited before. Um, the first peoples that lived in Baja, in the land that is known as Baja, um, typically were mountain people. And there were uh, the, the folks, the Yaqui, that were free divers, that were, you know, skilled pearl divers and such with different body types and 
Um, the Anthropological Museum was just fascinating because of the crossovers that they're seeing culturally in the DNA and in the experience of indigenous peoples from the space and the habits and textures that they had in the ways that they move through the world. Um, they're finding now that we have the ability to do genetic testing and to learn more about DNA, that they're finding connections between uh, peoples that lived in New Zealand and Australia and other parts of the um, Indonesian islands, that there were crossovers in culture here. So there is this kind of universal feeling and that we have so many of these experiences as humans finding that our DNA is connected to single-celled organisms and to fish in the sea and to apes and to peoples everywhere. And I think that there's nothing more cancerian or ocean metaphoric than that piece. So I've just been really uh, inspired by the experience here and it being cancer season and being by the ocean and then seeing the manipulation of the land and the infrastructure and organization and everything that it takes to survive in such a space and folks coming in and over harvesting the pearls, the oyster beds that no longer exist in this area and the fishing nets that have wiped out the, the vaquita, which are the smallest whales and they're these sweet little whales that get caught in nets with other larger fish that are being harvested for their gallbladders um, for people in Asia that are interested in these gallbladders. Like there, there are so many crossovers in why this space has been um, desired, right? Even though it is a very, very dry and uninhabitable space where many people have died. And then learning about... Uh, you know, just another example of a culture coming in from Europe and just bringing disease with them that there was no immunity towards and how that wiped out entire peoples. And it's a complicated feeling, right? The desire to see the world and to connect and be curious and, but at what cost? And that's, that's something to consider with a Capricorn full moon in this season is recognizing the cost of our efforts to shape land or to tame nature or to tame the untamable. And uh, a lot of meditations on that piece and specifically about the tortugas, the sea turtles that I've learned much about and the beautiful uh, bayinas, the whale species that are, um, they thrive in this area. They need this area for their breeding grounds, for their, for making babies. <laughs> so here's just an excerpt from the Moon Mailer this month. It's hard to be a turtle. So imagine your shell dissolving around you, spontaneously birthed amongst dozens, crawling flippers, keratin shells. Your comforting gestation sand is now suffocating. All the while, innately, you know you must climb, climb up. Maybe you make it. Others who may have been buried alive and you see sunlight for the first time. You feel breeze. And then... The hungry gulls, 
the rotten, vermicious canoots. Innocent, unaware of predators and all their forms, you might feel this fear, this powerlessness, plucked for consumption. Many of your mates take flight and join the circle of life. Your shell is too soft to protect you and you can't pull your arms in to hide. You were born to swim, to go to the water where you belong. Focused on shoreline, you crawl. Few of you make it to the water. The sea foam lifts you and you float. Just the first of many gauntlets, your feet touching water. Focus on kelp. Focus on bottom gardens to take shelter, take in your first fought-for meal. The predators come for your succulents, and you're not yet weathered with salt and ocean and sun to toughen your skin. So young, and no one to fight your battles for you. A loner for life. One in a thousand, you may survive to adulthood to 20 years or so when you're old enough to further the cycle of life. And maybe you're the one to plant the seed or the one to make the effort to dig that pit of life and leave your seeds to grow on their own, never knowing the outcome of your efforts. Such is life. We survive, we adapt, we lay seed, many of which we'll never see grow. We swim, keep swimming. And I realize that there is a lot of like feeling and sorrow and kind of like, I don't want to call it negativity or pessimism, but certainly it sounds really fucking hard to be a turtle, but it is the same with being a human being, right? And we think about, you know, one sperm making it to the egg and the effort <laughs> to swim uphill the fallopian tubes and the uterus and the whole process of uh, reproduction in human beings, but this brutal metaphor in nature of being able to survive and that uh, we spend our lives with this feeling of isolation and loneliness it's you know it can be very despairing when you don't feel seen or connected with and those feelings i think that precede leo season right where we do seek attention comes with this feeling and this awareness that there are others out there that are experiencing the same, the same pain and the same discomfort that we experience in this big, terrifying world. And so many of us feel like we're not given the tools or the guidance or the user manual for our experience here on spaceship planet Earth. And it can feel very frustrating and it can feel very isolating. Um, you know, this, this feeling of parentage that comes with the Cancer and Capricorn axis. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to use the words feminine or masculine, but it is that quality of the receptive and assertive principles, right? The yin and yang, the shadow and light that make creation, make creativity, those two forces coming together. And in our species, that is like uh, a binary reproductive uh, experience, right? Even with all of the variations, right? There's, there's that part of it as well. So please move with me with that metaphor. Um, it's tough. It's tough. 
And when you don't feel your root system and when you don't feel that connection and nourishment and support from your soil, you know, maybe, maybe you're a Joshua tree, maybe you're a saguaro that has learned to toughen its skin against the harsh and cruel sun and learn to hold on to your water and your nutrients that you can succumb to. And maybe you're one of these trees that I've seen in the distance, just boulders covering ground of dry earth and there's trees strapped to them just suckling from the moisture and dirt that surrounds these spaces of the boulders probably condensation from morning sun morning sky and you know there there is this survival this will to live this will to exist and i think the ocean really speaks to that and I was telling my partner about um, early childhood museum visits, and I was so fucking lucky to be able to go to as many museums as I've been to in my life. And I encourage people to continue to attend these spaces and these places um, to encourage them to return stuff to where it belongs, if one thing, right? Like we can be thoughtful about these um, curated uh, education centers, right? And you try to support the ones that are being as mindful as possible when harboring education, ha uh, taking, you know, having objects that belong to other people or other spaces. Uh, reproductions go a long way with folks. And I know that a lot of mu museums are trying to do right by that, um, that harm from the past and the, you know, the curio cabinets of our not so far away history. You know, just a couple hundred years where not many people got to travel and they didn't have the luxury of looking through phones into the landscapes and lives of other spaces, places, language. You know, so many folks just 150, 200 years ago never really left the place that they were born. And I hope that you've had that opportunity if that feels meaningful to you. But we can learn so much from the soil that we grow from. But the museums from when I was a kid talked about the ocean and how the world was covered in water at some point billions of years ago, which is really fucking hard to imagine, right? That we're in this perfectly poised planet that's just the right temperature and just the right distance from the sun and just had that rock orbiting it to create tides and this totally unique experience. The only one that we know of right at this time and carbon hydrogen oxygen and nitrogen were the beginning of everything those four elements were the building blocks of life and all life has strewn from those basic molecules and from the water uh, animals single-celled organisms evolved and adapted and evolved and adapted until they were ready to crawl out of the oceans reptiles and dinosaurs or whatever life forms uh, emerge from that time and space from the water and the nautiluses and all those creepy crawlies and megafauna and megaflora that we can only imagine right through the fossil record and with our our minds and just the development of the human species and how we've adapted to take advantage of the environment where we could. It's probably why all the megalinoxes, the giant sloths are gone. They just couldn't, they were too slow. <laughs> they were too slow, folks. And 
from those land species. Uh, a lot of them had to figure out how to get back to getting food, especially if there was um, some kind of blight, you know. And so over the course of millions of years, little land mammals uh, adapted to go back into the water to search for food. And every generation, you know, that adaptation process happened. One life after the next over millions of years, which I can't fathom. I cannot fathom a million years. And that snoot, that nose of theirs just kept crawling up their face, crawling up the cranium, no longer a sinus cavity, and then suddenly a blowhole. And then you have whales with teeth, like dolphins and orcas. And then whales with keratin teeth that suck up tr krill and smaller plankton. And then the whales that travel from the Arctic all the way to Baja Sur, where I am sitting in a closet atop a cooler <laughs> talking you, to you today. Um, I guess that the ocean here is really making me think a lot about the connection of life and how everything is uh, together. So there's some, there's some whispers for you, some thoughts, uh, and I hope you in, enjoyed the recording with Jonah and all of that nonsense that we do. Um, he's, a, he's a real trooper. I had to get an audio recording from him just because we couldn't quite finish our conversation. I don't have access to Wi-Fi. I'm, uh, you know, in a closet. So uh, this is Lauren K. Hickman signing off from the Inspired Astrology podcast. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, this is Ursa Day Healing Arts is the name of my business. You can find me on Instagram at Ursa Day with a triple underscore or online at www.ursaday.us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for participating in your life and the process and your curiosity. And uh, yeah. Until next time, stay inspired.